Okay, here we go. Thanks, Dave. <clears throat> okay, question. How many remembers anything that Anne said last week? Uh, it's interesting that we hear things, but we don't always uh, make an effort to apply what's been said. And I know my, my life, by Sunday morning last week, um, I'd already been challenged with the biggie and I was starting to feel really quite turmoiled and upset and uh, immediately I thought do you know what I, I was given the keys to this last night now who remembers what the characteristics of the law of sin and death were poor Anth he's gonna he's gonna go home and be so depressed he's depressed already okay what were the characteristics of the law of sin and death oh there you go what are the characteristics then of the law of sin, uh, of the law of life? If we start there, maybe we can figure out what the characteristics of the law of sin and death are. Really, is this right? Brilliant. So we've got faith, hope, and love are the characteristics of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So what then are the characteristics of the law of sin and death? This is interesting because it proves then that when we're in these situations, we're not recognizing it. And I'm not trying to be unkind. It's just that I had to do it because I was ready to jump out of a window on Sunday morning uh, because things that I felt right sight rather than faith, despair or despondency. Brilliant. And what was the other one? Hate. Well, well, we got there in the end, but it wasn't that quick, was it? Heck, if it takes that long to get us, boo. Um, I realized by Sunday morning that uh, any situation that is not brought under the law of the spirit of life will ultimately lead, and I'm going to use a word here that some of you will think, oh, that's a bit harsh, but I'm going to use the word murder because... We, we, we feel so bad, we feel so despondent by what we see, that's the sight issue, that we get to the point where we want to take action to right wrongs and in essence the, the, the final place is death, isn't it? So whether we kill somebody or they kill us, the, the point is it's there. And it was uh, just in my mind that we've had a couple of incidents this week what I've had to remind myself of, hang on a minute, what am I feeling? I'm feeling despondent. I'm feeling hateful. I'm feeling the things that I'm seeing are, are doing something in me and I had to choose to think differently. And it really did help. Now, it's, I'm not saying that, you know, it, it, oh, magic wand, you know. But the point was, I was able to put something into action that, that changed things. Now, the Cain and Abel story, which we're not going to talk about tonight. I, I, I'm not really sure where, what we're going to talk about specifically, but you'll, you'll listen to me rambling. You'll listen to Danny's rambling of his written music, so you can listen to me rambling tonight. Um, the Cain and Abel stories is just one of those things. You see, injustice felt by a person ultimately leads to try and get justice, even if... We get it by means that are just incredibly wrong. And um, a need to put things right creates a need to retaliate. And you can see where I'm going with this. And um, when I focus on 
my need for justice, it will inevitably lead to sin. Now, if you've read the story about Cain and Abel, and most of you who, uh, whether you're a churchgoer or not, it's, it's well known that Cain killed his brother because his brother did something that somehow seemed more acceptable, and he ended up killing his brother. There's a verse that says, if you do what is right, then it's going to be okay. But if you don't, you'll find that sin is crouching at your door. Now, it's an interesting verse, that, because for all of us, we can say, in many of the things that happen in our lives, we come to a point where we know sin is crouching at our door. In any given moment, we can make a choice that's going to go the the way of the law of sin and death rather than the law of the spirit of life. Isn't, isn't that true? We can make it up, make that decision in a moment. But the verse goes on to say, but you can master it. How? And the truth is, it's by forgiving the injustice that was done. Now, I, I was glad that uh, Beth brought what she brought us uh, at the beginning, because the thing that most people are just really rubbish at is forgiving injustice. All of us want justice. And you might say, well, surely that's the right thing. It's the right thing, the right way to be. But you see, what happens is things recycle and perpetuate. And the more that we want justice, the more injustice tends to have to happen in order to try and get the justice that we say we want. And and in the end, it never really fixes anything. I hope hope you get that. You know, I I, I don't want to be anti- American, because I actually like America, I think it's the, I I often say to Anth, why did the Americans get America? Such a gorgeous country. Why did we get England? It's cold. It's cold. It's cold and damp. As far as I'm concerned, it's cold and damp. Anyway, we could argue this all night, could we? But the thing that bothers me about what's going on at the minute is, You attacked me, therefore my right is to attack you. Now the truth is, I get it. If my family had been killed, you know, I'd feel the same. But the point is it doesn't fix anything. All it does is recycle violence and recycle violence until at the end of the day, everybody can, can annihilate each other. Isn't that right? So somebody somewhere has got to put a stop to it and say no. We are going to forgive the injustice, even though I, it is my loss, even though it's against me, even though I feel as though I've been badly done to, I'm going to forgive it, I'm going to wipe it away, and I am going to live very differently. Now, that, that is really the, 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 the Christian message, but we all struggle with it, don't we? Now, I'm not preaching on that, this is just the beginning bit. You see, sin crouching at your door, if we define it, We forget who we are, don't we? We forget who we are. And we become very self-centered because all we care about is me and my loss and my struggle. Therefore, I have to put that right at whatever cost. And of course, that's what, why the world, you know, Danny was singing it. Why all this stuff is because most of the time, these things happen because of self-centeredness. Be honest. Self-centeredness. Now, the wonderful thing about God is that he is not self-centered. He is other-centered, 
completely. And that's an amazing thing. And, and I think it, we struggle to get our head around it because we know what human nature is like. But God is absolutely other-centered to the point that he is not going to kill somebody else. He is going to die for rather than injure somebody. Do, do you see what I'm trying to say? It's the other-centeredness that says, do it to me. I'll take it, but I'm certainly not going to dish it out. Now, I don't know about uh, some of you in here. When I speak like that about God, you're thinking, that's not my idea of God. Because we've got so many crazy ideas about what God is like, which will potentially, maybe, in 20 minutes, get there. We'll see where we, where we get to. But the truth is, God is so other-centered that in his, in his all being, he wants to give and he wants to take away the, the struggle rather than create a, a problem and a struggle. Is that making sense? Now, if you can put up for me um, a scripture, Revelations 13, 8 in the New King James, please. Again, this is not what I'm preaching on, but we're just having a look at this. Um, do you see where it says there, the lamb slain, verse 8, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, most people who have been in church a while have heard that statement, but have you noticed how it's at the end of a verse. I always thought it was just a statement, like starting with a capital T, the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. But look what it says before it. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. But look what it says. Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, we ain't going to preach about that tonight, but it's a cracker. It makes you think, come on, Hang on, what's going on here? But what I wanted to show you here is that the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth has been a bit of a title that we've given to, to God and Jesus where we've said, oh, but you know, Jesus was always going to be slain from this. He was always going to die on the cross because right from the very beginning, God knew how terrible things were going to go and therefore he knew in his mind that he would have to send Jesus and therefore he would die. And that's what this is referring to. Now, I, that may be true. I, I'm, honestly, I'm not trying to argue points. But I want to give you another, an, another little idea about that. What if the relationship that God wanted to have with people, he knew that it would have to be so other-centered that right from the very start, if he did not die to his own desires and wants in that sense, it could actually never happen. So in essence, he had to die to himself in order to get the thing that he wanted. Now think about it in your relationships. What happens when things start to break down and, and you know, there's... People in here have, got, have had relationships that have broken down. I'm very sad for you. And, I, you know, this is a, maybe it's a touchy subject. But what usually happens is one person decides that it's not working for them. And I don't like what's going on. Therefore, I tend to say, unless this changes, I'm going to have to walk away or, or do something. Isn't, isn't that the case? But you see, what happened with God, he said, if I 
if this relationship with mankind is going to happen and they're not quite going to live up to the expectations that I want, if this relationship's going to work, I better die to it now or otherwise it ain't going to work. Do you see why he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth? Because that's what it's going to take for me to be in relationship with a world who are very self-centered when God himself is very other-centered. Is that making sense? Now, I know it's a different way of looking at it. You see, I often think to myself that people say, look, if I don't get away from this, I'll kill it. Real say, God will say to himself, no, I would rather die to it and stay with it. Is that, is that making sense? So I'm just trying to give you um, a little bit of a, a look again from what we were saying last week into, not last week, the week, a couple of weeks back, about the character and nature of God. So God's saying, I'm in this to the end. And right from the very start, it says foundation of the world, he'd already made up his mind the degree to which he was committed to it all. He says, I'll die, I'll die to it back then so that when it's all going on, it's not going to be a problem because I'll have already died to it so I'll be able to live for it. Do do, do you see what I mean? Okay, which brings us to something that we were talking about on Wednesday night and um, it's already been said. Sometimes Anthony and I are not very... um, I wasn't going to say that. (laughs) I was going to say, we are not very good at encouraging people uh, to come on a Wednesday. Because remember, we've we've been said already tonight that we've come from quite a a very strict, controlling background. And, And what we've tried to do is swing the pendulum hard the other way to release people. So often we don't come and say, hey, why weren't you there on Wednesday? It was brilliant. Because we want people to be free to do whatever. But you're missing some cracking stuff. Some of the things that we're talking about, it's wonderful. And on Wednesday, um, we'd we'd been reading an article. And I'm not going to go into that because if you want it, you can come and ask me. But we were really talking about the fact that when Jesus came, finally, as as a man onto the earth, he did not come into a world that was absent of God. We have this idea that, oh, the world was such a mess that suddenly God had this idea. Tell you what, I'll send Jesus and he'll go and sort it out. But you see, that's never been the case because right from the beginning, the universe was benefiting from the life of God because God was in every living cell. Everything that was going on was absolutely riddled with the life of God. Isn't that just awesome? In every fiber of creation. But you see, up to that point, it does say in the Bible, it was something that was hidden. Now you think, well, why was it hidden? Because there was a point where it was going to be revealed in a particular way. Now, I want you to put Colossians 1 verse 25 up, please. And this is a little bit where we're getting to. How many pages? Oh, 25. We'll be all right. 10 o'clock. We'll be okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, Colossians 1 verse 25, in the NIV I said, didn't I? Is that the one? Okay. Um, I, this is Paul talking, I have become its servant 
by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now, I love that. The word of God. Because what was Jesus in the beginning? He was the word of God. It says that God spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light. That was actually Jesus, the word actually involving himself in the whole creation process. So right at the beginning, Jesus was there. Not just when he came as, God came as a man and stood on the earth and talked and did and whatever and then got crucified. Right in the beginning, he says, the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is this. This is the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what is the mystery that is Christ? Do you get me? That is Christ, but what is the mystery that's revealed? It's Christ in you. Isn't that just awesome? I mean, I was thrilled with that. Christ, this is the mystery. Christ in you. So the point is, Christ has been in everything right from the very beginning, and it's in you, and it's the hope of glory. Isn't that just absolutely amazing? What, yeah, you were saying, glory just means the weight, the, the, the expansiveness, the awesomeness of, we have that in here. Now you might say, yes. I have it in me because I have somehow accepted Christ. No, it's in the world. It's in every living thing. It's in everything that has life in it. It is constantly, it's there. This is the mystery. And he was revealed. It was revealed. This mystery was revealed in Jesus. The person finally manifested was no other than the word of God by whom everything was created. Oh, come on. That is just stunning. So reconciling grace, the kingdom, it's been present all along. It is the very constitution of the universe for everybody and everything. And like I said, Jesus exists in every cell of everything since the beginning, not just when Jesus was revealed. Now, we all have what's called a theological model. Now, that sounds a bit jargony, but you'll get what I mean in a minute. That we live by. That's why we have denominations. Think about it. That's why you have Baptist church. That's why you have Church of England church and Catholic church. Because it's a model, a theological model by which people operate by, which defines who we are. Now, what's really weird about it all, because it, it, it all tends to start in the, in the same place. So, for example... We all would accept as believers or whatever that Jesus came from God and we believe that his death, about his death, and we believe about his resurrection. We trust Jesus as our savior and we put our faith in him as a person in order that he might put things right for the world. Wouldn't you say that that's the basic start of it all? Now, the only issue with all of that is that almost nobody can let it just go at that. Do you want me to say that again? We believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. We trust Jesus as Savior. We put our faith in him as a person to put things right, to restore all things. 
And the problem is almost nobody can let it go at that. Now, am I making sense? Because if we could let it go at that, it'd be so simple. But we can't let it go at that. And I have to be honest, sometimes the Bible is the biggest problem to us letting it go at that. Because we have in the Bible lots of people's opinions. And, and you've got my opinion tonight, so I'm just another one. But, you know, um, the point being that when anything new is, being, is beginning, like, like anything, there comes a, a, a real need to put some sort of structure and shape to it. And we end up being in a situation where we have, for instance, I've heard people say to me, uh, I've had people say to me, yes, but they are not proper Christians. Oh, what's just happened? A theological model just kicked in because they said, this is my idea of what a proper Christian, am I making sense? And so we then say, well, they can't be this because this is my theological model. Is this making sense? Okay. So, um, the reason why this happens is because we begin to think. Now, some of you are going to slap me for this. Because you're going to say, yeah, I've been telling you that all along. You think too much. I don't mean it in that way. Because I think that God gave us brains to think. You know, you only have to look at the statistics that says we don't use hardly any of the brain that we've been given. Is it such small percentage, which is very sad. But for whatever reason that is, I will not get into tonight. But the point is, I'm not talking about... We shouldn't think about these things. So I think it's good to think. But you see, the issue is that when we start to think about what we believe, about the basics of what we've be, been given, that's when it all starts to go a bit crazy. So take what we said a, a bit ago. You know, we, we know we believe in Jesus. We believe he came, he, he died, he, he was resurrected. We trust him as savior. We put faith in him as a person. To put things right, and I said, hardly anybody can just leave it at that, right? So this is where we get. You see, the conclusions that you arrive at may be biblical. It might be something that Paul said in the Bible. For, for example, like the council in Jerusalem, when all this was kicking off in the first century, it was, okay, you know, Jesus has come. He's done this, that, and the other. And now we've got all... You know, because remember the church started with a bunch of Jews and then there was a whole bunch of Gentiles that wanted to come in and they said, ooh, how are they going to come and join us unless we have some rules that say do this, this, this and this to make them like us so they'll fit in our little theological model. So we have this story and I haven't given you the, the, the scripture but it, they said, okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's get our heads together. Instead of leaving it alone, keeping it simple. They said, right, what we'll do, we'll tell them, okay, you can join us, providing, now I know these things sound crazy, I'm only telling you what it said then, and I suppose it made sense in the first century, but it was this, providing they don't eat blood, providing they don't eat food offered to idols, and providing that they um, uh, keep away from uh, sexual immorality, they can join us. So they had a theological Model, am I making sense? Added to the thing that if they would have only have left it alone, it would have been all right. But they didn't, you see. So this is where Jesus plus something comes in. And this is what creates 
these theological models. Now, a common model, and some, most of you will know this, whether you're a churchgoer, whether you've had a, a religious background or whatever, most people have a, a, a common idea. We call it in this church the common narrative that this is what the theological model of Christianity is. For instance, Jesus has got something that I need. It's basically eternal life. I have to come to him to get it. And in order to get it, I have to do something. And it might be, for instance, like saying a prayer, the sinner's prayer, which incidentally, it's not in the Bible. I love, I loved the, the, uh, the article that Rob Bell wrote about the many different ways that if you go through scripture and find that people were saved all different ways. And it was like, well, which is it then? Is it that? Is it this? Is it this? No. If there was all sorts of ways people could find their way into this thing that was already there, you see. If it's a theological model, you have to come in through a particular door. But if it's already there, hovering, you're going to find it everywhere. It's actually going to find you more than you're going to find it, if you see what I mean. So this sinner's prayer, we say, oh, well, I have to do that to get it. I must do, I must do something before the gift is mine. Well, sounds okay, doesn't it? But where does this thinking lead us? It leads us to a place where we say, okay, well, I've said the prayer, but they didn't say the prayer. So I must be in and they must be out. Oh, can you see how easily it is? Because we moved away from the simple understanding of God from the foundation of the earth already putting the, the, the life that was necessary for everybody to, to be accessed. Is this making sense? I hope, I hope it is. I watched a program on the TV the other day, and I, I tweeted it for, the, for those who follow me. And uh, it was a Christian uh, broadcast. And this uh, woman called in, and she was talking about her, her brother who died a couple of years back. And she said... You know, I just want to ask you, you know, he never said the sinner's prayer and, you know, he never went to church and, you know, I'm just worried, you know, will he, will he be in heaven? Well, we could get talking about that, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'll just tell you what happened. And immediately this person without even any sense of care or, or concern just says, oh, absolutely not. I was going, what? What's just happened here? And uh, they went on to say, oh, no, unless you've accepted Jesus into your life and blah, 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 there are no second chances. And, you know, literally used the word, they would be in hell forever right now. And I'm thinking, for one thing, how could they even begin to say that? Because they didn't know. I mean, be honest, they didn't know. Do you get me? They have no evidence to suggest such a thing. But you see... This is what this sort of thinking does. When we don't believe that God was in Christ and the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth and the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages but was in everything just waiting to be revealed, if we don't think this way, we actually go down a very shallow, very 
very silly way of thinking and we create an in and out, out situation. So Jesus didn't just come to take away the sins of those who were churchgoers and the world isn't damned because they won't join the church. Did you know that? Did you know that? I mean, you might say, well, why do we bother coming? Because at the end of the day, it's about equipping us to understand, like I said at the beginning, about forgiveness and about not seeking uh, our, our self-centered desires, but being other-centered. We have to have a, a school where we can learn how to be. Because I'll tell you what, human nature will always go to the law of sin and death. And that's why we hope in this place that we just keep giving you ways of saying, Do you know what? I actually want to be part and partner in what God is restoring and creating in this world. I don't want to add to the world's problems. I actually want to try and help solve them. Isn't that the issue? So a few weeks ago, we went to Connie's uh, end of term uh, show and it was called The Little Shop of Horrors. And in all, probably the last 12 years, I've, I've lost a lot of my creativity. It's coming back slowly, but when I was watching The Little Shop of Horrors, I suddenly felt I could write a show. I did. But then I started thinking about doing it, and I thought, oh, no. Oh, somebody, somebody hit me now because of the work, etc. But I thought, yeah, little church of horrors. Where you've got some sort of, instead of a plant, you've got a giant Bible. And that, you know, there's all these lovely people in the shop and they've been, you know, really, all the church being really, really nice. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Bible opens and it goes. (laughs) What? No, the Bible was your idea. My idea was the show. There is the issue. That is what the church feels like to a lot of people. Because it's like forever sort of insisting that, that, that God is not there. He's not in them. He's not doing anything. Oh, you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to do the other. When actually, it's been there all along. He's just there. He's, he's there. And, and, oh, I just thought, yeah, wouldn't that be brilliant? Yeah. Mm. Okay, so I want to read soon. I know we're running out of time, but just give me a minute to write to read this because I think it will help some of you if I give like a little story about what I'm just trying to say, and then we'll move from there. Suppose I were to tell you that I had already buried under a flat rock on a piece of property that you own one million pounds in crisp bills and suppose I were to tell you that I have no intention of ever taking this money back it's there and that's that on one level I have given you a piece of sensationally good news you are the possessor of a million pounds no conditions attached no danger of mine reneging on the gift and if you trust me that is if you go to your property and start turning over the rocks you will sooner or later actually be able to relate to the million pounds that I have kindly given you but know something crucial, your faith, your trust, does not earn you the money, nor does it con me into giving it to you. 
The money was yours all along just because I was crazy enough to bury it in your backyard. Wow! Yes! Yes, come on, yes! The only thing, sorry, your faith, you see, is no way the cause of the gift. The only thing it can possibly have any causal connection with is your enjoyment of the gift. Oh! I need tissue, somebody. So, you get my point. What God has done is put a million bucks in your backyard. You don't have to do anything. Thank you, darling. Lovely, thank you. You don't have to do anything to get it other than trust that it's there and go turn over some rocks. And the people out there, and I don't like talking them and us, but all they have to be told is that there's a million bucks in your backyard. Go turn over some rocks. I love it. But I have to tell you the next bit because this is what I was saying about we think about it, you see. See how that was simple? But then we start thinking. Listen, this is the thinky bit. Um, the million pounds could easily cease to be good news and become nothing but a problem. You might, for example, decide that I was talking through my hat or that I had a perverse desire to wear you out hoisting stones or that no one in his right mind would actually do what I claimed or that you didn't deserve such a gift or that it was impossible for me to give such a gift or even if I gave you the good news of the gift through a representative and not in person, that I didn't even exist. See, are we thinking? They're all the thoughts, aren't they? Come on, be honest. Don't we do that? We've read that the mystery that was hidden for ages, that's been here all along, was revealed in Jesus, and he's basically put the million books in your backyard. But we're saying, oh, we don't even know if it exists. And well, you know, I might have to do this. And what if he's fooling me? And what happens if I had to do this and then I didn't do it? And isn't that, isn't that what happens? In any case, the longer you thought such thoughts, the less likely you would be to bother turning over the rocks. I just want us to drop our models, our theological models. That's what I thought I had to bring tonight because most of the time, instead of just saying, and, 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 and Steve, as we, we, he, he sent me a text the other day and he was talking about how do we explain what it is that we've, we've understood. And I think it's put very simply like this. God has put a million books in your backyard and all he wants you to do is turn over some rocks and find it, end. But we'll have people say, oh yeah, but surely if you're doing this, that and the other, it won't be in your backyard anymore because God will come down and he'll actually turn over the rock and he'll take it back because he'll say, oh, no, do you get it, you see? That's a theological model that, oh, well, yes, but unless you do this or unless you do that, it'll be taken away. I, I hope this is making sense because, I, see, the issue is that the kingdom which we said at the beginning that some mystery that was hidden was Christ and he was revealed, but it's Christ in you, the hope 
of glory. And like I say, it's not just us. It's not just believers. So I want to ask you the question. Let's get back to the simplicity of the gift and go turn over some rocks. Are you enjoying the gift or have you created a model that stops you having it? You come up with thoughts that says, I can't have it because I don't deserve it. I can't have it because of this and I can't do it, have it, have it because of that. Instead of just saying, no, I'm just going to trust. I'm just going to trust it's there and I'm going to turn over some rocks. The work of Christ is already in everybody and for everybody simply because he is the God who holds everything in his loving, forgiving hands. And you might say, and I mean, Danny's already mentioned this. You may say, well, if he's in everybody and everything, it doesn't, like, it doesn't look like it because why all the evil? And this is what I just thought. God is not in the sin or evil prevention business, but he's in the sin forgiveness business. That's what he's concerned about. He's going to keep forgiving. And the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom because he is incarnate. And I'm to use that word. All, all incarnate means is he was made flesh. He was made flesh and he was here in a world that looks to all extents and purposes as unimproved and chaotic. It seems at this time that what he is doing is actually creating no solution to problems at all. And that's when we, we, we look and come back to the beginning, sight, despondency, hatred, because we go by sight instead of saying no. Do you know, where, where is God? Just like the sun shines on, and there's a scripture, I, haven't, I, I, I didn't mention it. The sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun shines on the good and the bad. Does the sun go in and say, right, you're, you're a piece of work, so I'm not, not going to shine on you, but I'll shine on you because you're okay. Come on. It's a stupid way of thinking. The point is God's blessing is on Everyone, he is the light of the world and he's right, whether vi villain or victim. And he's not like, he's not like the lighting company that's going to sort of, you didn't pay your fee, so I'll cut you off. Is he? He's the light of the world. He's not going to cut you off. So God's bizarre program is what I said is a mystery that just hangs around everywhere, waiting waiting to be discovered. And so all I want to just leave you with this tonight, that the mystery of Christ is this. And uh, this is, these aren't my words. This is a, um, a guy called Robert Farah Capon, and he's a great read if anybody wants to read. He says this, the mystery of Christ is irrevocable, is, a, is the irrevocable marriage of God to his creation. Irrevocable marriage. Now we live in a world where marriage is pretty fragile and you know people can get out of it so easy now but the 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 relationship that God has with his creation is irrevocable that's an incredible word isn't it for better for worse for richer or poorer in sickness or in health we hear that at marriage ceremonies and it's quite sad but at least when we hear it about the mystery of Christ we know that it's actually true and it's forever so if you've had some sort of a theological model that says I have to be certain things in order to access this incredible gift 
that God has given. I I, want to just fire a rocket it. And I would like you to at least go from this place tonight and say, do you know what? I'm going to take this back to its simple, very, I don't know what the word is. Um, I suppose it's pre-messed uh, with state. Take it back and say, do you know what? That little story that was told that the money is in your yard and it's just waiting for you to turn over a rock and actually know that this has been the intent of God for you before the very foundation of the world. And I hope that excites you because it excites me. That's it, I'm done. Enjoy pillars! Enjoy pillars! Go stuff your face.